At home or on the road, you deserve great coffee. A Heine Brothers coffee subscription plan gives you top quality organic and fair trade coffee delivered right to your door or office automatically. You select the frequency, the quantity, and the variety of coffee, and Heine Brothers will take care of the rest, shipping included. Also makes a great gift, so order online at HeineBrosCoffee.com. That's H-E-I-N-E-B-R-O-S-C-O-F-F-E-E.com forward slash subscription and use the offer code the past for five dollars off any gift subscription i was holding my breath because this is episode 30 the big 3-0 and it's all about things that have to do with underwater uh, my name is Mick Sullivan. I'm the creator and host of The Past and the Curious. By the way, that was underwater, not underwear. We've already done an underwear episode, so pff, come on now. I'm really excited to welcome my friend Brian West, who's going to be reading a story about Garrett Morgan. And uh, you'll also hear me reading a story about Ezra Lee and his submarine known as the Turtle. Um, my apologies to David Bowie and Lynn manuel Miranda because I butchered both of those things, as you will find out. <laughs> um, I also am excited to say our book release is very, very soon. The presale will begin the week of March 17th, sometime that week, so stay posted. This just in, presale for The Meat Shower begins Wednesday, March 20th, 2019. There will be more info about that at the end of the show. If you're curious, stay tuned. But let's do this show, The Past and the Curious. If you're going to have a city full of people, you're going to need water. And if you're going to have a big city, you're going to need a lot of water. Oh, one other important detail. It's got to be clean water. Looking back 120 years ago, around the time the 1800s became the 1900s, America was a busy place. Industries were booming in cities and factories filled with people were creating things like iron and steel and fabrics and food. It was amazing how much stuff was being manufactured and sent to other places on boats and trains. But with all that production comes waste and pollution. You don't want that stuff in your water. To make matters worse, at this time, cities were still grappling with how to handle sewage and waste. Human waste, that is. And you definitely don't want that in your water. Now, you might look at a city like Cleveland, Ohio on a map and see that it's got rivers and some prime real estate on the Great Lake Erie. Plenty of water, to say the least. But citizens found all those different kinds of waste were winding up in their water supply, the lake and river. And as a result, people were getting sick with terrible diseases like cholera and typhoid. Preferring to have live citizens as opposed to dead ones, cities began to develop ways to treat the water, but they also made efforts to get cleaner water to start with. In Cleveland, the need was so great and important that the city set about on a massive public works project. They'd dig a five-mile-long tunnel underneath Lake Erie. The idea was to get far out into the lake, away from the pollution near the banks. And through a station out in the middle of the lake, called the Crib, 
they'd pull water from the bottom. There would be a natural filtration process for the water, but also the pollution tended to stay closer to shore, so it was a good solution for clean water. But, as you can imagine, digging a tunnel under a lake is a crazy dangerous thing. Some men, in this case, mostly Irish and German immigrants, laugh in the face of such danger. Fright didn't stop crews of the brave fellows from spending day after day, working in the 10-foot-tall tunnel, passing through pressure locks and slowly digging inch by inch, farther out while the waves of the Great Lake crashed above their heads. The project started in 1914, and by July of 1916, people thought little of it. It was business as usual, until disaster struck later that month. On July 26th, the digging upset a pocket of natural gas in the earth, which happened to be near the tunnel path. And at 9.22 p.m., an explosion collapsed the man-made cavern. Lives were lost due to the blast, but some survivors remained inside the tunnel. As rescuers quickly learned, though, the natural gas which caused the explosion continued to fill the tunnel. It was toxic to breathe, and this endangered not just the survivors, but the rescuers as well. People worked all night to reach those trapped with little success. In fact, by morning, people were sad to learn several rescuers had fallen victim to the gas inside as well. Finally, a police officer on the scene spoke up. Very near the rescue scene, just minutes away in fact, lived a man he thought could help. The officer had seen him give a demonstration of his invention called the safety hood. A phone operator tried Garrett Morgan's line and woke the inventor up. Help us, Garrett Morgan. You're our only hope. According to some reports, Garrett Morgan showed up in his pajamas. Garrett Morgan was born in Kentucky. Both of his parents had been enslaved before the Civil War and he spent much of his youth balancing his elementary education with time working on his parents' farm. It was pretty obvious that he had a big old brain in that head of his, and he knew it, too. Which is why he moved to Cincinnati, Ohio. There weren't a lot of established ways for a young man like him to continue his education, so he took it into his own hands, working several jobs and using the income for two things to pay for a place to stay, and to pay for a private tutor. Somewhere along the way, he learned how to repair the sewing machines that factories were using to make all those clothes being sent around the country. After moving again, this time to Cleveland, Ohio, on the banks of the then-polluted Lake Erie, he began his own sewing machine repair business and made a lot of money. Soon enough, he expanded and opened a tailoring business, where his employees worked on garments with sewing machines he designed and built. He even wound up owning the Cleveland Call, a newspaper for Cleveland's African-American community. But the inventive nature of his mind extended beyond sewing machines and towards saving human lives. Realizing that fire departments of the time had trouble rescuing people from smoky buildings, he worked to invent a solution, the safety hood. Today, we'd call it a gas mask, and it would look a little different, but the idea is the same. Picture a large canvas hood 
with clear plates over the eyes, so the person wearing can see where they're going. Extending from around where the mouth would be were two elephant trunk-like hoses that would wrap around the back of the person and end near the ground. It actually kind of looks like something out of Star Wars. Help us, Garrett Morgan. You're our only hope. There were wet cloth filters inside to help with the dangerous smoke, heat, or gas. But by placing the mouth of the hose down around one's feet, it helped to keep the smoke, which rises, out of the mask in the first place. Could it help to save the workers stuck in the tunnel? A crowd of onlookers nervously watched Garrett and his brother, who we would assume was also in pajamas, put the giant hoods over their heads and descended into the danger of the deep, dark tunnel. As the people outside waited, breathing crisp morning air, the two men struggled not just to see, but also to breathe in the steamy hoods. By the time the rescue efforts were officially called off, the Morgan brothers bravely made four descents into the tunnel under the lake. Several lives were saved, and there's actually a famous newspaper photograph of Garrett cradling one of the survivors in his arms as he brings the man out of the crowd of concerned citizens. There was no question that Garrett was a hero. Not only had his invention worked to save lives, but his bravery in the situation was exceptional too. Unfortunately, the mere color of his skin kept him from earning the accolades he should have. Some newspaper reports of the day didn't even mention his part in the rescue. He was also nominated for the coveted Carnegie Hero Award, which he did not receive, many say due to his race. But Garrett was undeterred. After seeing the success of the mask during the rescue, many fire departments across the country placed orders for the safety hood. And not long after, he sold a patent to the United States military. An adapted version of his safety hood would be used on the battlefields of World War I. You might think, after this, that a man with Garrett's successes might relax and enjoy life in retirement. He had a sewing machine repair business, a tailoring shop, a burgeoning gas mask business, a newspaper, and even a line of hair care products we didn't mention in his story. But would you be right? You'd be worse than right. You'd be wrong. In the 1920s in Cleveland, it was still very common to see newfangled automobiles sharing the road with horse-drawn carriages. Garrett saw these every day, but when one day he saw a pretty bad collision between a horse carriage and a car, he worked to find yet another solution. He didn't invent the traffic signal. He didn't even install the first traffic signal in Cleveland. But he was the first person to earn a patent for a particularly important signal, the three-position traffic signal. While other traffic signals had a stop and go, Garrett's was the first to give a cautionary middle position. Though it looked like a cross with arms that could raise and lower to instruct drivers, it was clearly a predecessor to our version with red, yellow, and green lights of today. So we have a lot to be thankful for from Garrett Morgan. He had a lot to be thankful for too, as he sold yet another invention for a small fortune. Thomas Edison's General Electric Company, now known as GE, bought the signal for $40,000, which in the 1920s 
was an enormous sum of money. Garrett lived a long life after this, passing away in 1963. Among many of his honors is an elementary school that bears his name in Lexington, Kentucky. Perhaps most appropriate, the water treatment facility in Cleveland, Ohio, is officially called the Garrett Morgan Water Treatment Plant. We have some new submissions for You Have 30 Seconds, and our first one will be this month. His name is Dominic, and, well, he has 30 seconds. My name is Dominic, and I live in Holdridge, Nebraska. Abraham Lincoln was the first president to be assassinated while in office. However, that wasn't the first assassination attempt on a president. Richard Lawrence, a house painter, tried to kill Andrew Jackson, the seventh president. Jackson barely escaped with his life when Richard Lawrence's gun misfired. Andrew Jackson started clubbing him, and Lawrence pulled out a second gun, which also misfired. Lawrence was found not guilty by reason of insanity and spent the remainder of his life in an insane asylum. Super interesting stuff. Thank you, Dominic. Now, if you would like to be a part of You Have 30 Seconds, the first thing you need to know is you have 30 seconds. Second thing you need to know is tell me something awesome. Find out more at thepastandthecurious.com. Is it time for a test or a challenge? No! It's quiz time. It's quiz time. It's quiz time. Time, time. Well, you should know by now that it is quiz time. So here's question number one. It has to do with things underwater. What is the deepest point in the ocean? Far underwater in the western Pacific Ocean, the Marianas Trench is a deep canyon underwater. Its deepest point is known as Challenger Deep, and this point is nearly 11,000 meters or 3,600 feet deep, making it the deepest point on Earth. Incredibly, it was first measured and recorded by the British ship HMS Challenger way back in the 1870s, and it has been known as Challenger Deep ever since. Question number two. Speaking of the 1870s, do you know what early science fiction book, published in 1870, piqued interest in submarines thanks to its main character, Captain Nemo, and his pursuit of a sea monster? Jules Verne's 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea was a science fiction hit, but science fiction wasn't really a thing then. Like several of Verne's other books, this one predicted many things, including today's nuclear-powered submarines. Question number three, your third and final question. Submarines are famous for firing torpedoes, but the name for these explosive devices comes from a living creature. Do you know what kind? There is a particular kind of stingray called a torpedo fish. It is named this because its sting can leave a victim feeling numb and sluggish. And the original Latin word torpedo means just this, numb and sluggish. Steamboat pioneer Robert Fulton appears to have been the first to use the word to describe an underwater explosive, finding his inspiration in the sting of a sea creature. Ground control to Sergeant Lee. Ground control to Ezra Lee. Take a nice deep breath and load your submarine. 
Ground control Nine. to Sergeant Lee. Seven. Six. The water's so Five. dark you can't Four. see. Start your cranking so you move your boat with speed. It was 1776, and in New York Harbor sat an immense fleet of British ships. The soldiers inside those 300 giant ships outnumbered the people in the city of New York, which the boats surrounded. 32,000 troops in New York Harbor. It was an intimidating sight for the Americans, who probably gulped with fright and perhaps pined a bit for a navy of their very own. But America didn't even have a single warship. They barely even had something that they could call an army. And that ragtag band of amateur soldiers was certainly outmanned by the professional British soldiers floating in a forest of ships just offshore of Manhattan Island. Among all those ships also sat an island, an island that would one day house a statue called Liberty Enlightening the World. You probably know her as the Statue of Liberty. Anchored right next to this very island was the flagship, the most important British ship, the ship that carried the man in charge of all the other ships bobbing in the waves, each one filled to the brim with fearsome red-coated professional soldiers. The ship was called HMS Eagle, and the man in charge was Admiral Richard Howe. The scanning eyes of the American citizens on shore probably lingered on this boat for a bit longer, as they knew what an important ship the Eagle was. Being important ran in the family for Admiral Howe. While he commanded the seas, his brother William was in charge of all of the British forces on land. And if there had been a way to have an air force at the time, perhaps a third brother could have been in charge of that and they could have had a Howe trifecta. But while technology at the time didn't support airborne activities, as we'll see, it did allow for some underwater or submarine adventures. Land-loving brother William Howe had recently been in Boston and threatened to take the city for the British from the rebelling Americans. They were there for months, as the citizens and fledgling American army, now under the control of George Washington, resisted. A young man named Henry Knox, whose only real experience until this point was owning a bookstore, came up with a daring plan to chase the British off. He knew that there were cannons at an unused fort 300 miles away. So he took some men, some oxen, and he managed to move the cannons over land, mud, snow, mountains, and more. It took two months to pull the 40 sleds, each of which weighed 5,400 pounds all the way to Boston. Once they got there, there was still work to be done. They got it done because, to his shock, one morning, William Howe woke up, and instead of seeing the same unthreatening sights of Boston, he instead saw 40 cannons pointed at he and his British men. Now, Will was no dummy, so he did what any reasonable person would do. He packed up and left, super fast. So Great Britain sent his brother to help, and together they sailed into New York Harbor to scare the Americans into submission. I will send a fully armed battalion to remind you of my love. If you asked either of the Howe brothers, and they were to answer you honestly, you would have learned that they actually kind of understood the Americans' reasons for rebelling. When Great Britain started taxing nearly everything the Americans needed, 
but not allowing the American colonists to have a voice in how they were governed, the people got angry. And it was more than just throwing tea in Boston Harbor. The Howe brothers thought that they had a point and kind of felt for the Americans. But when you're in the British Army and you're told to do something, you do it. So the brothers were in charge of stopping the American rebellion. But they were both hopeful that the Americans could be convinced to make peace and rejoin Great Britain before there was too much violence. All over the colonies, there were plenty of Americans still loyal to King George III and Great Britain. But plenty of folks were not, and of those, many of them were not interested in making up at all. So despite being outnumbered, they chose to resist. It was probably a pretty big bummer for George Washington to stare at those ships filled with 32,000 soldiers and then look back at his puny group of men who were pretty much just farmers and merchants and regular dudes who decided to become an army and fight the most powerful military in the world. If it bummed him out, he hid it pretty well. But the Continental Congress, the folks who gave George his orders, were aware of the problem this presented. Which is why three members, Benjamin Franklin, Edward Rutledge, and John Adams were planning to board Howe's ship and discuss options for peace. But three days before the meeting, something weird happened. No one expected a submarine to threaten the British ships, but that was mostly because submarines didn't even exist at this point. Yes, the Americans tried a lot of things to send the British back home, but no idea was more unusual than the one that came out of David Bushnell's head. While home in Connecticut, he had thrilled and terrified his fellow citizens with experiments that allowed him to make gunpowder explode underwater. That was impressive enough, but his next invention would be truly unique. It's known as the Turtle, and it is the first recorded military submarine in history. While the name Turtle certainly makes sense when you see it, the craft really looks more like a giant acorn made from a giant wooden barrel. But the giant acorn barrel was not really as catchy of a name as the turtle. Inside the submarine, it was dark and cramped, which is probably what it's like inside of a real turtle. But instead of being icky, gooey, and bony, inside Bushnell's turtle, there were a few gadgets, pedals to power the machine, a crank, and levers. The idea was pretty simple. One brave person climbed in and turned a crank attached to a propeller in the front of the turtle. There was a rudder, a porthole, even some gauges which were topped with natural bioluminescent materials so they would glow in the dark and be visible underwater. If the pilot needed to descend, the turtle could take in water, which would help make it drop. If it needed to rise again, well, the person inside could take a break from the arduous cranking and instead exhaust themselves with a pump that would force the water back out, leaving them with wet socks and no breath. But most important, as far as Richard Howe's ship, the Eagle, was concerned, the underwater vehicle included a crank drill near the top. Oh, and a time bomb. The plan was for the pilot to secretly and silently get the turtle right next to the eagle, and with the crank drill, bore a hole in the side of the boat, attach the detachable time bomb, and pedal off to shore and wait for the resulting kaboom, which would send the ship to the bottom of New York Harbor. Easy as turtle pie. Not really. It was a demanding job, and Bushnell himself wasn't physically up to the task of piloting the turtle. So ultimately, the job fell on Ezra Lee. This is ground control to Sergeant Lee. You really made the grade. And the papers want to know how you turn. 
ship go boom. It was around 11 o'clock on September 6th, 1776, when he climbed into the turtle and launched. And for hours, poor Ezra Lee turned the manual crank that controlled the propeller. Turns out, the waves of the harbor and the changing of the tides made the job really difficult. Turn after turn of the manual propeller with one hand and steering the rudder with the other, Ezra might have discovered a revolutionary new fad workout if Americans of that time period were concerned with exercise. But they had other things to deal with right now, like a real revolution. Surely getting exhausted, Ezra managed to make it alongside Howe's ship, the Eagle, without being detected. It was time to engage the crank drill and leave the time bomb on the side of the boat. The waves bounced his boat into the hull of the giant eagle, and people on board the British ship surely noticed the strange sound. Ezra made his first attempt. His drill couldn't penetrate the hull or the bottom of the ship. There wasn't wood to drill into. How strange. He figured he'd try again at a different spot. Engage drill. Nope, still not working. Unbeknownst to poor Ezra, the eagle's hull had been covered in a sheet of metal. The sheet was mostly to prevent sea worms from boring holes into the bottom of the boat and turning it into Swiss cheese. It was just Howe's luck that it was also submarine time bomb resistant, too. It's hard to know exactly what the case was. Ezra was the only person there, and he certainly couldn't see much. Some historians say the drill would have easily pierced through the metal plating, and that he just so happened to mistakenly find himself near a piece of impenetrable iron on the ship's rear. Others say he was just so tired from all the cranking that he had little energy left for drilling. In either case, by the time he found himself unsuccessful after a few attempts, the sun started to peek out over the horizon. And knowing that he'd be detected, he decided it was time to cut and run. So he cranked the propeller even more, heading back towards New York City. And sure enough, the turtle was detected, and a small rowboat of British soldiers soon gave chase to the strange thing just below the water's surface. Remembering the time bomb was set to blow, Ezra detached the charge, and the British soldiers, fearing a trap, turned around. It was a good choice. The bomb exploded harmlessly in the harbor, though according to witnesses, the surge of water towards the sky was an incredible sight to behold. If it had been attached to the eagle, well, let's just say Admiral Howe's underwear most certainly would have been wet, one way or another. As it was, not a soul was hurt, and Ezra Lee took his turtle and went home. This is Ezra Lee to ground control. The drill bit won't go through. And I think I've got to steer my boat away. See, can you hear me, Sergeant?
Dr. Awkward, the palindrome professor. It's Dr. Awkward, the palindrome professor. It's Dr. Awkward. It's Dr. Awkward, palindrome. Well, it's been a long time since we've had a visit from Dr. Awkward, and I think I've blocked it out of my mind well enough to try it all over again. I'm an open-minded guy, I guess, and willing to give people second chances, so... Uh, If you don't remember, or you missed it, Dr. Awkward is a professor of history who happens to speak in palindromes only. Only palindromes, everything he says. That means everything he says is spelled exactly the same way backwards as it is forwards. It's kind of confusing, but it's also really very logical. Anyway, without further ado, let's give this another shot. Hello, Dr. Awkward, and welcome to the past and the curious. Yo, bozo boy. Well, we're already off on the wrong foot, aren't we? Care to try that again? Bob? My name is Mick, and you know it. Anyway, I understand you came back from a research trip across the ocean. Did you enjoy yourself? Warsaw was raw. Oh, you went to Poland, eh? Warsaw is really great. Was the weather nice? Too hot to hoot. Oh, I see. So it was sunny? Tahiti hat. You wore a Tahitian hat to keep the sun off your head. Did you take a can of sunblock? No, I told Ed lotion. Oh, well, I guess Ed failed to give me that trivial and unimportant information. Not a big deal. Anyway, are you hungry? I have an assortment of Greek foods here to sample. Evil olive! Okay, let me see what else. No lemon, no melon. Don't have that. Wasn't going to offer it. I might have some leftover Chinese food in the fridge, though. Wonton? Not now. Well, okay. We'll just do without food. Tuna roll or a nut? Sorry, fresh out. Tuna reminds me, though, we're supposed to be talking about underwater stuff. Let's dive in, shall we? Pun fully intended. Wet stew. Yep, the ocean's a wet stew of all sorts of stuff. Wet sanitary rat in the stew. Is that how you feel when you go swimming? Like a wet sanitary rat? I guess I can see that. Have you ever gone deep sea diving before? Nemo's omen. Like Nemo the fish or Nemo the captain? Either way, are you worried about some sort of curse from a fish or a captain or a sea monster? No, it is opposition. Okay, well, if you don't go into the ocean, what was the last body of water that you saw? Niagara! Oh, roar again. Oh, I love Niagara. Who did you go with? Mom. What's your mom's name? Anna. I'm sure she's a very nice lady. Ma is as selfless as I am. Selfless, you say. Interesting. So I couldn't convince you to go diving with me? Won't I panic in a pit now? I get it, I get it. You prefer dry land. Would you rather play a game of golf? Golf? No, sir. Prefer prison flog. I'm not really sure what's happening anymore. Is there anything you actually want to talk about? Are Mac and Oliver ever evil on camera? D saw a seed. Come on, man. All right, thanks. Delia saw I was ailed. Gabe's a nosebag. Well, that's about what I expected. It's Dr. Awkward. It's Dr. Awkward. Palindrome. One weird day in 1876 in Bath County, Kentucky, meat fell from the sky. Meat? 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 Meat! Yes, meat. And in... 
2019, we were weird enough to write a book about it. Not just any book, because we can't do anything normal. What we decided to do is pretend that the only surviving piece of meat in the world, which really does exist, yeah, we made him the narrator of our story. I can't wait to share it with you. It is called The Meat Shower, and it will be out in May of 2019, but the pre-sale starts the week of March 17th, 2019. You can find it at our website, thepastandthecurious.com, all of our social media places, and anywhere people talk about meat. The Meat Shower. The book is still vegetarian friendly. Well, hello, everybody. I lost my voice over the weekend, and I can go real low now. Too bad my voice isn't like that always. Anyway, I have my friend Dominic to thank for his wonderful You Have 30 Seconds segment. We have more already for the next few episodes, but if you have an idea for a You Have 30 Seconds, record it, send it in. Instructions are at the website, thepastandthecurious.com. I also want to thank my good friend Brian West for his help this week with the Garrett Morgan story. I also have Patreon sponsors to thank. Uh, First, I need to thank my good friend Allie and her kids from Cool Facts About Animals, which is a great podcast. I really, really love it. And they're a kids listen friend. You should go check them out. Also, I have to thank Ezra and the whole Silva family. I'm going to shout out to Ezra. Ezra, Yeah, Ezra! Ezra, Ezra, Ezra. Ezra. (laughs) Sorry, guys. I wish I had a better voice for you this time. Um, I did hear that Ezra's favorite story so far from the past on the curious has been the one about Annie Edson Taylor. She's the lady who on her 60th birthday went over Niagara Falls in a pickle barrel. She was the first person to do that and live. I don't recommend trying that at home. But anyway, I'm so glad you like it, Ezra. Thank you very much. Also, there's a young lady named Libby out there who is going to get a song next month. The uh, Patreon sponsor came in a little late for me to get a song together, but I wanted to say hello and let you know that there's a song coming your way. Hopefully when I have a more natural voice. Otherwise, it might be real low. To the rest of you listeners out there, thank you so much. We're so glad you listen and keep an eye out for the Meat Shower book. It's been a lot of fun to put together. I hope some of you pick up some copies and enjoy it. Pre-sale details will be at thepastandthecurious.com and all of our social media handles. Thank you very much. This has been The Past and the Curious with Mick Sullivan, and I am Mick Sullivan.